Welcome to the Thirst for More podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Smitley, where we sit down and talk with strength coaches, personal trainers, nutritionalists, and other professionals in the fitness and strength and conditioning field to help athletes, parents, coaches, small business owners help level up their game to provide athletes and clients world-renowned success, either in the weight room, on the field, or on the platform. Enjoy today's episode. On episode four of the Thirst for More podcast, I sit down with head strength and conditioning coach Jason Nunn of Whiteland High School. We briefly talk about his high school strength and conditioning program, what he does, how he's been there, and kind of got into that scene. He's also coached at Indiana State University with Dave McManus, and he's also owned his own gym at the semi-private level, so he's kind of had his hands in everything in terms of coaching for strength and conditioning in a sports performance realm. You can find Jason on Instagram at WHSCoachNunn, and that's N-U-N-N. And he provides a lot of good shout-outs to his athletes and who the top performers are for the certain sports and hours that he works with his kids. I think high school strength and conditioning is probably one of the most challenging coaching positions there is from the strength and conditioning realm, just for the sheer number of athletes you have to work with and how impressionable you are on some of these young adults because strength and conditioning for them may or may not be something they want to be a part of, but they really do love sports usually at that age. And some high schools are implementing these programs incredibly well, and I think Jason is one of those guys. He gets it. He really gets the kids to buy in behind what he's doing and also delivers on the results front and gets the sport coaches what they want at a high level, and that's a hard balancing act at the high school level. So on this episode with Jason, I think he'll take a lot away. Jason's a good friend of mine, super knowledgeable, really strong guy just in general for himself. Um, and I, I know I took a lot away from him during this particular episode. So enjoy episode four with Jason Nunn. Hey, Coach, this is Brandon. How's it going, man? Great, man. How are you? I'm doing well. You guys hanging in there all right? <laughs> we definitely are. Like we just talked about, uh, it's just a matter of uh, figuring out how we're going to get uh, how we're going to get back on board with training, you know, and like I said, I've been doing a lot of body weight stuff with my clients now, obviously, as you can you know, see behind me, I'm, I'm personally not hurting. I've got my own set up here at home. So, uh, I've actually been training, you know, pretty much every day, uh, since this thing has, has happened. But, uh, uh, like I told you earlier, I, I think I've been, I think I've written more body weight programs than I have in my life. Uh, during this yeah. last month. So uh, that's pretty much what I've been up to. Uh, and then just figuring out how we get back to uh, to training our athletes, uh, you know, at, my, at the high school where I work, Whiteland High School, uh, how we get back on board as soon as we're allowed to. So that's what I've been in communication with, uh, you know, athletic directors and sport coaches so far. Right. Yeah. I, I know I talked with a couple of other people that I've already talked to this week and they said that um, it's definitely a trying time because there's not really anything that's set in stone of what to do because this is so new. So there's not really an efficient way to go about it. It's for the first couple of weeks, we had to fly by the seat of our pants and start churning stuff out. And then, you know, I'm sure at a high school level, some kids have access to some and some access, nothing, to nothing. Like you said, they just got to do body weight. So it, it makes the, the training layout and obviously there's no spring sports and um, who knows what's going to happen from a summer standpoint with how they're going to reintroduce sport practices and, and all that stuff. So it's definitely going to be confusing. Um, so I guess the first thing I want to kind of 
pick your brain about. Um, you know, we've kind of already talked with about how you're doing the body weight stuff. Um, in terms of keeping in touch with your sport coaches and the admin and all that kind of stuff, are you having to uh, churn out programs for specific sports or are you kind of laying out just a couple different options for uh, different types of sports? Are you doing each sport individually? How are you specifically going about kind of doing your training for the the kids as a whole? Have you got it separated or are you kind of like, hey, here's some body weight exercises and uh, we'll rip through these on Zoom and all that kind of stuff? Uh, yeah, basically, uh, you know, we're still, we're still on e-learning for the next two weeks. Um, so they're, they're separated instead of by sport, uh, by class. Uh, so I've, I've been giving them several different options. I mean, the thing you got to remember is not all kids, you know, have the same home setup that, you know, others do. So some of them don't have internet or they do have internet, but they have to go to, or, or a way to get internet. Like they, I've had kids that don't have internet at home. Uh, you know, we deal with, when you're working in a high school setting, you're dealing with kids of all sorts of different socioeconomic statuses. Uh, so I've had kids that have had to go to like a Starbucks parking lot or a library parking lot and download their workout and then do it. And then I've got a couple different options of how we can submit them. Uh, basically they can either pre-record it and submit it to me that way, uh, as to show that they did it, or we've been doing them live with zoom. Uh, but we've also got issues of, of time. Uh, I have some kids who literally have to work to support, help support their family. Uh, so they're, they might be working nine to five right now uh, so that they can help pay rent and things like that that their family needs. So uh, those are some of the issues that I'm dealing with. Uh, so uh, I give them two options, basically. I, I don't think it makes sense to do like a sport-specific training program in the situation we're in. So we've been just kind of doing a unified program. Uh, and my main goal is, you know, keeping the work capacity up, keep them moving, keep them sprinting. Uh, and then that way when we do come back, we'll have some sort of foundation to work with. Uh, like you said, there's not really a whole lot of sports going on right now. So, uh, my main goal is, you know, keeping them in shape. So when we do come back, we're not totally deconditioned is what I want. Uh, right now they're separated in by uh, class period, because like I said, we're still e-learning. Um, that'll be over in a couple weeks. And then I'm, I'm actually meeting with our sport coaches tomorrow or not tomorrow, next week. Um, uh, Football coaches are tomorrow. All the other sport coaches are going to be throughout the week next week uh, about how we go about, you know, finishing, you know, May and June. And then right now we're set to come back July 6th. Uh, that's our tentative date as of right now, uh, as per the IHSA, that's the Indiana High School Athletic Association. So we're set to come back. We can start doing stuff in person with the kids on July 6th is what we're going off of right now. Uh, and I've been basically in email and phone call and text message conversations with the athletic director and sport coaches as to, you know, what that looks like, because we're still going to have probably some sort of social distancing measures in place uh, when we come back on July 6th. So how does that look? How do I train groups of 10 when I have 250 athletes? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, what's that going to look like? Luckily I have, about three different facilities that we can work out of on campus uh, with, with racks and barbells and plates. Uh, and, and then also a, a football field where we can do our speed work and still be socially distant. Um, so we, we're going over and, you know, everything is, 
you know, still pretty much up in the air. Um, that's what we're planning on. That's our tentative plan. But as you've probably experienced over the last month or so, things can change, you know, like that. Yep. So um, that's the plan for right now. That's what I'm doing. Uh, keeping in contact with the athletes. Uh, So if they have access to weights, um, we can do that. Or if, uh, if they don't, then they have a body weight option. And so, excuse me, what I've been doing is myself is I have to go through and pre-record the workouts. Um, excuse me. I upload them to YouTube uh, and then post them on a, a Google sheet with the, the YouTube link on there. And then they can uh, do their, uh, they can do their workouts that way. Gotcha. That's, that's pretty good. Yeah. I don't so, know what the, the high schools are doing here. We've not really kind of heard. I know that some of them are trying to do some of the body weight stuff, but we've also heard that some, um, are not having anything really at all given to them. It's kind of doing your own thing. Cause it, it sounds like with Whiteland, you know, you guys have the class period thing. And I know that the Terre Haute schools are exploring that they've kind of tried some of it with, um, some of the schools, but it doesn't seem like they've got a, a full grasp on how they want to do it. I know when I was there, it was like an elective and I took it every semester, but um, it was not set sports at certain times. It was basically just a smorgasbord and everybody kind of did the same, same workout, which isn't awful. I mean, I guess you're high school kids, you don't need anything crazy specific. You very rarely are going to have those kids go division one, you got your, your outliers. So you're a program for the majority. Um, but I don't know exactly how they're, they're doing that now. I've not heard. I know what we're doing and we're just, so we're basically sending body weight stuff. And we told their parents that if they want to come check out bands, we would do that entirely free of charge so we can open up the exercise pool a little bit. So that it's not just body weight. We can, we can get some upper back work in with the bands and mm -hmm. um, kind of open things up a little bit. And that, that's we got a good response with that. So, and luckily we get to open up here soon. So I think a lot of parents are like, Hey, we just got a couple more weeks to bear through this and then we can get back in the facility. But, like you said, how we're going to introduce them back in because they've obviously been out six to eight weeks. We can't just go back to what we were doing as a whole. We've got to, we're going to have to re basically take some steps back from a programming standpoint and relighten the loads and, and reintroduce some of the, what might seem like old exercises to some of them, but, you know, get back and get some decent shape before we start pushing you a little bit. Cause what we fear is, the sport coaches are just going to say, well, we've not been open since basically March. So we're going to kill you to make up for it. And that's really not, not ideal by no. any means, especially no. in the heat of July with, yeah. with football or whatever, like they're going to be dying if they're not kind of eased in appropriately. Yeah. That's uh that's one thing that, um, that I, I'm really, uh, I'm really happy about, you know, most of my sport coaches, uh, they kind of get it um at where we're at like i mean even with our apc classes our, our apc classes are broken up by class so like my first period i got boys and girls basketball uh you know and second period is kind of a mix and then third period uh i've got softball and baseball fifth period is just football um and, and so we're, we managed to and that's just an example we, we managed to try to put like sports together and our, our guidance department is, is really on board with, with doing that as well. And that makes my job a lot easier 
versus having all these different uh, programs going on because uh, I, I try to not that I, I'm a big like sports specific person um, especially at the high school level like you said it's more of a, a general preparedness um, but I do like to make modifications for in-season athletes and and things like that like I, I maybe cut back on the the benching like to the chest for our baseball players in season and some of our offensive linemen and things like that. And I like to be able to make those modifications. Um, and with the unified program, it kind of makes it difficult to do that. Uh, but yeah, our, our sport coaches, you know, I've already had the conversation with the athletic director is that we're not going to make up for lost time. Uh, you, you can't get that back. Uh, so coming in there and, and then just kicking their butts for an entire month, you're going to wind up with more overuse injuries uh, and other issues from the deconditioning than uh, than you would if you took like a I kind of talk I, I kind of explain it to them like a reverse taper like if you're if you're familiar with how you would taper for swimming or for track and field or some events like that where you gradually decrease the intensity and the volume as you get closer to your you know where your peak is going to be so they're decreasing their intensity and volume in the weight room but increasing the intensity and volume in the swimming pool as they get closer to sectionals that's typically how that runs so that's what i'm basically doing uh with our teams and how i've explained that to our sport coaches is it will start off you know no sport specific uh planning at all for like the first week back uh we start off with uh I, I like to use like a block zero approach. I don't know if you're familiar with Joe Ken at all, yep. but it basically block zero refers to their training age. Uh, so that whole block, you're just working on building work capacity and working on technique. Uh, so that's kind of the way I explained it to, to our sport coaches. And then we gradually will work into having football practice and things like that. Uh, at the end of like four or five weeks of getting them in shape to do so. So our goal is to have them strong and in shape by August. So. Yep. I, I think um, obviously you guys are by Indianapolis. So um, you've probably got a bigger resource pool, not only athlete wise, um, but fiscally as well with your, your weight room and stuff. So I think hopefully um, they will, they don't, they understand that, but they also appreciate that. But it'll be interesting to see when football season comes, I think from the first two or three games that they have, you'll be able to see the, the teams that did well in terms of introducing that uh, GPP and being slow and steady and just kind of trusting the process and then, and seeing how that pans out towards sectional time versus the ones that just tried to kill them. And then by sectional time, you know, their, their kids are kind of, falling apart when you really need them to be the best because yeah. I'm going to assume there's going to have to be some modification of the season at some point. I have, I have a hardly hard time imagining them just going bare bones right back into the way it normally would have been um, considering there's been no spring ball. And, you know, like I said, there's, there's been no, when all this basically hit, you know, the, the winter slash off season lifting was kind of cut short and then they're not lifting at all with, with weight. So yeah, that's, that's going to be really interesting when that, that time of year uh, kicks in. So I, I kind of, that kind of segues me to this next question is that I know that you've been in collegiate strength and conditioning uh, when you were at ISU with Dave McManus um, and now you're at the high school level. What, what's the, the big differences that you have as a coach from the high school level to the collegiate level? Obviously the college kids, you know, you've got um, their own team based time that they come in based upon their time of year. So, you know, you're always working with that team where you just talked about, you know, you got kind of a couple different teams in the hours, but from a 
coaching perspective, what's the biggest change you had to make from working with 18 to 22 year old kids to the 14 to 18 year old kid? I would say, uh, you know, there's a, there's a couple different, different things to unpack there. Like the first one is like, you know, when you're working at, uh, like an Indiana state or, uh, any other division one program, everyone's awesome. Right. So, uh, they didn't get there because, you know, they, you know, weren't very good. They got there because they are a very good athlete and they're probably one of the top, you know, 10%, if not 1%, you know, athletically in the country. Uh, so that's going to be what you're dealing with. So the, the motivation, uh, and the buy-in is going to, uh, be a little bit more intrinsic for, for them. And so as a strength coach, your job is, you know, keep that buy-in and things like that. But, but then, you know, basically coach them through the program. Um, and then you're just dealing with other factors. Like they also, um, you know, if a uh, college athlete, you know, they are a little bit more, I feel like a little bit more, I don't know whether it's sensitive or, um, I'm trying to figure out the best way to put this. Um, I, I feel like the likelihood of injury goes up. I feel like at the college level, uh, because you're, you're better athletes at the high school level. They just, they just don't seem to get hurt as much and you don't have to worry about it quite as much. Uh, at the college level, it's a much bigger deal. I mean, if you have a, a guy who, uh, you know, tears an ACL or something like that, not only is that hurting the team, but it's also hurting the athletic department financially. So there's a lot more stress, uh, I feel like at the college level than there is at the high school level, there's a lot more pressure to win. So you get that as far as the coaching goes. Uh, but at the high school level, uh, the kids, you know, maybe aren't as bought in from the beginning. So getting the buy-in uh, and the things like that from the kids is a little, little tougher to get uh, because the athletes aren't division one athletes. Like you said, you know, most of them will not play at that level. Uh, so you have to think about your progressions differently. I mean, if I tell a division one athlete to squat, usually nine times out of 10, I don't even have to coach them. You just say, do that. And then they'll go do that with good technique and it'll look fine. Uh, obviously you still have to coach at that level. Uh, but it's not, I feel like not as difficult if that makes sense, uh, as it would be working with your typical high school athlete. Uh, you're also working with, you know, instead of a grown adult who is 18 to 22 years old, you're working with uh, teenagers and everything that that entails, both physically and emotionally for them. Uh, and then you're working with, you know, kids who may not be food secure at home. So they may not eat any other meals other than what they are provided there at school. Uh, so that's something that you have to think about. And uh, do they have transportation? Um, and do they have, you know, workout attire? Do they have clothes? Do they have shoes uh, and things like that. So you have to learn to be a little bit more lenient in some ways than others. Um, like I remember like at Indiana state, like you, you can't even write wear the wrong colors or the wrong brand or anything like that. Uh, so like Indiana state's under armor school, you're expected to wear under armor. Uh, you're expected to wear blue, white, black, or gray in the weight room. And that's the rule. And if you don't follow the rule, then there's a punishment for that, for even dressing the wrong way. Whereas at the high school level, um, you know, I don't let kids wear other school stuff. So we're Whiteland. We don't wear Greenwood, Greenwood stuff or Center Grove stuff or Ben Davis stuff or anything like that. And some of the kids kind of looked at me funny when I said that was a rule. And like, uh, it's just those, those slight differences, you know what I mean? So, yep. um, just the amount of, 
uh, I guess, structure at the Division One level versus not so much at the high school level. Uh, you're dealing with more multi-sport athletes at the high school level. Uh, most of my football players uh, play multiple sports. Uh, so my football players are on the basketball team. My football players are on the track team. Uh, you know, I've got baseball players that are also cross-country runners, and how do you do that? Uh, so, so that's, that's a lot of the challenges. That's uh, a small list of the challenges that, uh, you know, you, you run into when, you know, coaching those two different levels. Yeah. And, uh, we kind of deal with that too. Whenever we see at the semi-private level that, you know, one kid's going from one sport to the next, to the next. And it's from a training perspective, luckily everything is relatively general in nature, but like you said, with the baseball kid, we do have some baseball kids that actually do run cross country. So I, I totally relate with that. We're like, you know, right now, ideally we'd be doing some rotational stuff and um, doing a little bit more shoulder prehab and rehab, especially if they were in season right now, like they should be. But, um, but then when cross country comes, you know, we got to put a little bit more emphasis probably on the hamstrings and the, the trunk and make sure they, they're training that a little bit more um focused and we can take the rotational aspect out because we don't need that since we're we're running so that's I, I totally relate with that 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 makes it a little bit i don't want to say tricky but you've got to think outside the box a little bit more where you don't exactly have a true off season off season you've just got downtime from one sport and downtime to another and controlling their their volume and their workload is especially with the cross country that's that's very very difficult because <laughs> they try to run a lot of mileage year, you know, year, all year long. And, um, you know, trying to incentivize them to pull back a little bit, it can be hard. Um, and with a multi-sport athlete, it's like, you know, if we can, from one sport to the other, if I can get you to just not do any sport for a couple of weeks, just to let your body kind of hang out and we'll pull back on our end too. And then we can go back. That's, that's what I try to tell the parents, but with some kids, that's really, really hard to do because that's also their social structure. So that's how they, they hang out with their friends and they're, they kind of identify with that, I guess, with their friends and in terms of what they do, especially if they're a multi-sport athlete. So um, that kind of gets me to this next question, which just in general, doesn't even matter which sport, but what is your goal with each season ideally for a kid? So, you know, looking at in-season, postseason, off-season, preseason. How? What main variables are you trying to control with your kids at that that high school level? Well, usually, um, in a perfect world, I would have kind of a uh, kind of a relearning, I guess, and immediately following the postseason, where you know that's where we would start typically with our block zero approach. Um, and basically we would start our goal with, with that block would be to uh, start relearning some technique, get them in like weight room shape. If you know what I mean? Like there's a, I feel like there's a difference between just being in sport shape and then being in weight room shape. Um, so the goal with, you know, that first four to six weeks after the season in that postseason would be to basically set them up for the rest of the off season training. So they're going to be in shape. They're going to have good technique and that'll kind of lay the foundation of what we would move into like right in the middle of the off season. Um, and that's really going to depend on uh, the training age of the athlete and what we move towards. Um, a lot of times what I've done uh, from that is I, I kind of 
decrease the the volume a little bit and start pumping up the intensity. So after that postseason, you know, now we're working on sprint technique, uh, uh, change of direction technique, uh, and then we start incorporating some some actual you know lower volume, higher intensity strength work. So if we were you know 12s and 10s on most of our exercises during that block zero even as high as 15s when we first start just so they can build some capacity and and have practice reps i look at repetitions like like practice so to me uh, the more volume you get right off of the season the more practice they have lifting that way even if the intensity is low uh, so then we start cranking up the intensity uh, and we start during the off season, you know, we might, you know, take our rep schemes down into more of a eight to 10 range. And our goal is to, you know, increase their, their one rep max on their, their certain lifts, whether it's a squat bench or clean or whatever we tend to actually end up being doing. Uh, I'm not really married to a, a certain set of exercises or whatever. I'm about whatever gets, gets the kid better. Uh, if that's a front squat, then that's a front squat. If it's a back squat, it's a back squat. If it's a bench press or a board presser or whatever tools I need to do. Um, so basically during our you know middle of our off season, you know, main goal is going to be, you know, increasing strength. And then we'll move into more of a power phase as we go into our preseason uh, where we might throw in some some conjugate type uh, type work. Um, and then as we get into our end season, uh, I don't like the idea of just maintaining during the season. Um, I like the to be you know stronger at the end of the season than what we started. Uh, but that doesn't mean we are doing the same exercises. So if we were back squatting uh, during the off season, it might make more sense for us to front squat during the season. Or if we've got a safety bar, uh, it may more may more make more sense to to do the safety bar squat or a neutral grip bench press or a board press or a floor press. Uh, for our in-season athletes and, you know, benching to our chest and catching our cleans and things like that. So our in-season might look more like clean pulls and uh, different variations like that. They're a little bit easier in their joints. So my goal is to, you know, keep them strong, increase their strength a, a little bit during the season, uh, and it kind of cycles around uh, in that fashion, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say that's pretty much what we kind of do, too, at semi-private level. We kind of put them through, I would say about for a lot of kids, their first eight weeks with us usually looks relatively similar um, in terms of the exercise selection. We got to teach them how to, how to goblet squat. We got to make sure their push-up technique looks good. Like you said, with the repetitions, they've got to mm-hmm. learn to do some single leg work. They got to learn how to hinge, which hinge is by far for us the, the hardest thing that most kids can't grasp. Yeah. Um, and then once they can kind of get that down for four to eight weeks, which some of our high school kids that come in, they do really well. I mean, we've got an all-state tennis player and, you know, within, within the first two weeks, he's already, you know, back squatting 300. Like that's really good for a freaking tennis player. So I was like, All right, we yeah. can do a little bit more with you, but um, you know, the average kid that comes in, so we got to have that kind of block zero. And then we just progress the exercises as they're allowed to, to do so. And then in season, we just make smarter exercise choices and um, make sure their elbows and shoulders and knees and hips and everything can, can feel good. And they're not getting killed at, because more than likely they probably are getting killed at practice, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So try to give them a, like, Hey, you can come in here and work and get better, but we don't have to obliterate you. You know, we can keep the weights relatively moderate to heavy, but just back down and pick the, pick the safe choice. Mm-hmm. And I think that was probably one of the big one question that we got a lot with we had a couple of parents of why does everyone use the safety bar when they're, they're in here for the most part. And I'm like, well, they're, they're not a power lifter. If I can, if they're an overhead athlete and I can save their shoulder a little bit, because if they're going to be forced to back squat at school, well then, 
you know, ideally I don't want to get them to squat at all, but if I have to say, I'm going to choose a safety bar on front squat, like you said, during in season, and then we can go back to learn how to back squat when the season's over. It's not, right. um, it's just a matter of continuing to get better even in season. And luckily with that 13 to 18 year old age range and the hormone levels that's going on and the, the being a, the newbie gain, so to speak, that's very, very possible. Um, as long as they stay consistent with it and they, you know, they do the proper recovery based stuff. They're not staying up late and making dumb decisions. So, um, I guess, uh, based upon, you kind of talked about how many kids you already work with usually on a given day, you said you got like 200, 250, I guess on the, the, uh, typical, let's just say a typical year, no COVID-19 example. How does, um, how do you guys have your structure set up through the day with the school day? So you, you kind of said you got certain sports that stay together. Do you guys do any lifting at all after school? Is it all school class-based? And then how do you go about um, having kids train together? Do you have like assigned racks? Do you let them kind of just train with their friends? So as long as they can keep things organized and on a good pace to get it within their, their classroom time. And then how do you, um, with progression models, we talked about how you certain kids kind of have to go through that block zero. Are they all kind of trying to learn? Um, the same exercises each training block and then if you got that outlier kid he might be able to do something a little bit more quickly than the than the other kid mm -hmm. so we uh we just moved to block scheduling this year so you know half of my kids work out monday wednesday friday and then the other half will work out tuesday thursday and then the following week it's flipped uh so that makes it kind of challenging for me so i don't see every athlete every day um, and that has its, you know, upsides and, and downsides, you know, the upside on that is I get them for, uh, about an hour and a half. Uh, so we can do a lot of speed work and stuff like that every day that they weren't getting, uh, before when, when we were not block scheduling last year. Uh, but the, the downside is, is, you know, for that in season athlete, what if it's their Tuesday, Thursday day, and if it's a basketball player, they may have a game both days, you know? Uh, so then what are we supposed to do that week? Um, they're not, I mean, cause after school they're going to have practice. So, uh, that's one of the challenging things that I see with our current setup. Uh, typically what I found to work best is, um, with my classes, I, I run about five classes a day on our block scheduling. Yeah, it's about five classes, um, five classes a day on our block scheduling on the first probably month of each semester. I kind of revert back to block zero. Uh, that's because it, you know, one thing that you're going to run into at the high school level is I might have uh, 40 to 60 or even 80 kids in a class, and every semester you're going to get an influx of, you know, 20 of those kids maybe never even touched a bar before. Uh, I'm lucky at my school we actually have like an intro to APC class, like APC is advanced physical conditioning. That's what I teach. Uh, but we also have a class that freshmen can take their first semester. If they're an athlete, they can take like an intro class where they learn to, they spend the whole first semester learning to hinge, push up, squat, and that sort of thing. And one of our other coaches runs that. So I'm kind of lucky in that regard. So a lot of them, when they first get to me, they can at least hinge and push up and do like a goblet squat. So um, I kind of piggyback off of that. I think that, I, I tried it my first year there, uh, just jumping right into it. Um, 
like second semester, for example. And that was a nightmare because there were still a lot of other kids who did not take that class who are now in my class um, who had never touched a barbell before. So uh, it made things seem kind of unorganized. So the way I did it differently this year that worked out really well was I kind of did a unified program, whereas everybody's on the same workout for like the first month. Um, in season, off season, didn't matter. Uh, I did it that way. I kept the volume, you know, and so the recovery was manageable. I kept the, the volume and intensity kind of low. So recovery was manageable for our in season athletes and didn't interfere with what they were doing. But at the same time, uh, able to get enough technique work uh, and that sort of thing for the kids who are just coming into class. So let's say, you know, August and January, we were spent doing that. And then what I would do uh, is split them up into their sports, say second month of the class, and they would finish the semester uh, doing their own program for their own sport. Uh, for the most part, those sports were split up by season. So um, I had, you know, fall season sports, winter season sports, and spring season sports. That way I could manage their volume and intensity of their, and continue with a real off-season program and then implement in-season programs for the ones who were in season at that time. Um, that worked out really well. And then from there, I basically just had breakouts uh, for each individual sport. So or a pull up or something like that uh, in place of it. If I feel like they need to do more pulling, you know, if their shoulders are getting a beating at swimming practice, uh, if I feel like we need to do that. So, so basically it just starts off with a block zero type approach where we're just working on basics. Uh, then we split them up by, uh, by what season they are, fall, winter, or spring. Uh, and then from there we make breakouts for based on the individual athletes. Uh, as far as having assigned racks and assigned groups, uh, I do that initially uh, because a lot of that block zero stuff, I, I have to be on a schedule with it uh, if we're doing timed intervals or anything like that. And I can't have kids, you know, messing around, uh, changing weights and stuff like that. So I paired kids with similar strength levels uh, so that we could be more efficient with our time. So if you and I are squatting the same weight, we're going to work on the same rack and we don't have to change plates in between. Uh, if we're trying to manage our rest intervals. Uh, so uh, that's kind of the way I started. And for any workout that we would do, you know, the kids would know I would have it posted what their assigned groups were. Uh, and then for ones that where it was not that big of a focus, we would let them work in with their friends or whatever. And I found that was kind of a, a nice medium between the two because a high school athlete is, is very much there for like the social aspect too. So you have to remember that as a coach. So that's kind of the way I set it up uh, and uh, it worked and had really good success for me. So that's really good. Um, I, I really, that's a really interesting approach that they do the, the three on one week and then two that I kind of like that that at least gives you some more time because at least I never remember when I was in high school and I think it's probably still not the same. Their classes are about an hour, maybe 65 minutes, something like that. And then by the time you allow them to change and, and all that kind of stuff, you know, you're probably working with maybe 45, yeah. 50 minutes yeah. at the absolute it's, most. It's and, if, that. Yeah. and if you've got 
but it sounds like you got a lot of kids. You said upward to sixty to eighty. That's a ton. I know. Mm-hmm. I know the tarot schools will have them near. They couldn't even fit that many kids in the weight room if they wanted to. Yeah. But um, just the sheer fact of how well you have to be on top of stuff with that amount of short amount of time with five days a week. Like you said, with the five day a week thing, like kids don't need to train five days a week, three days a week, probably for almost all four years is going to be ample uh, for most of them. And, you know, we work with kids a lot of times, two days a week and we see great progress. It's not necessarily, you got to kill them. So what do you do with those down days? You know, do you, do you run, do you do um, conditioning work? And then if you got kids with different, they said different types of seasons, well, they're not going to, not going to run the heck out of the in season kid, but you're not going to want them sitting around and goofing off. So that kind of gets a little, confusing yeah. i, I kind of hope Terre Haute figures out a way to to do that um that they definitely need to re, kind of reevaluate that i know at the middle school level they don't do the lifting necessarily but they do have that three on they basically do it by some semester they have one semester where you got pe three days a week and then the next one you get in that that same semester you get your music class two days a week and then it flip-flops then you have pe twice a week and then music and it'd be nice if the the high school could figure out a way to do that. And I know that they're talking about going to semesters versus trimesters. So right now they have trimesters. They're yeah. going to be changing the semester. So maybe they will look into that flip-flopping if they're able to do that. And I personally at least like that you get more time. I think that's more valuable for the athlete. And, and you obviously get to be able to coach more. I mean, you can eat, you can almost treat it like a collegiate setup where, you know, you can, everybody warms up, you break down together and talk about what you're going to, accomplish for the training session you know you got your squats and whatever what you want to really make sure they're trying to work on and then break out and then you can supervise the room i think that gives you more flexibility because yeah that 40 minute training session that's that's hard to work with (laughs) yeah yeah we uh my first year there at whiteland um they were not on block scheduling so every class met every day uh and we got i want to say each class was 44 minutes uh, and we had to give them four minutes on each side uh, to go get dressed. So that left me with 36 minutes. Um, so, yeah, so basically the way that I had to do that was um, I made – and even on Wednesdays it was even shorter because Wednesday was an early – it still is an early release day. Um, so normally we would get out of school at 2.50. On Wednesdays we'd get out of school at 2.20 uh, wow. because we have to have uh, teacher meetings after school every Wednesday. Uh, so basically I took Wednesday, I made that our speed day. Uh, so instead of going in the weight room on Wednesday, we would either go out to the football field or we would be, uh, in the gymnasium, uh, and we would do our running mechanics, whatever linear speed or change of direction that we wanted to get in that week. Uh, we would do, uh, on that day. And then we would basically have enough time to get like, let's say if it was a Monday, we might have enough time to to get some sort of Olympic variation in and a core lift. And then that'd be about it. Um, so we would have to come back after school um, and do whatever accessories we missed. Uh, and then for kids that didn't have APC class, they would have to go in and get their core lifts in. Uh, I still do that to an extent uh, just because like those other kids that are doing, you know, on the two day a week, if it's their off season, um, they might come in an additional two days a week after school. Uh, and, and again, it's for what I, I separate the after school program out into kids that have my class and kids that do not, uh, the ones that have my class, uh, will do extra accessory work that we didn't get to. Uh, so, and usually that means like we might do some extra like frontal plane movement or some sort of extra injury prevention, 
uh, that we don't normally get. So we might do some extra like eccentric hamstring work or uh, some sort of lateral lunge or, or something like that that we didn't get to in class that week. Uh, for the kids that don't have APC class, that's when we're getting our core lifts in. That's where we're, uh, whatever our core lifts for, you know, that group is, whether it's a safety bar squat or a back squat or a neutral grip bench or bench or a clean floor, clean, whatever our core lifts happen to be for the, you know, time period that they're in, uh, whatever phase they're in, their training program, uh, that's what they do. So that's kind of the way that I have to do it now. So um, that's, that's really good. Uh, what, from a, from a sport coach standpoint, uh, how, how much, I'm trying to think how to, how to really say this well, how much do they, um, give you the reins and how much do you have to kind of listen to what they say? Cause I know at the collegiate level, you know, you're usually talking to your sport coach and your sport coach, either at least the college level generally has a system of what they want to see ran and you got to try to stay within those boundaries, but also use your expertise to educate them. And yep. say, here's why we're going to try to do this, but I'm also going to say, Hey, you know, if you're a uh, thrower, I obviously you're going to do some Olympic work, but you might be more of a, of a, of a front squatter versus a back squatter. And then the coach might say, want a back squat, want a front squat. How do you at the high school level is the, the coaching communication easier, harder, about the same? Or they, do they give you more like, Hey, he's the strength coach. We're going to let him do his thing. Or is it still like, you gotta, you gotta kind of pull some hairs. Uh, for the most part, uh, the, the coaches are pretty bought into the weight room and, and they understand it uh, with the coaches that I work with now. Uh, it depends on like the individual coach. I mean, it's just like working, you know, at the college level, you know, some coaches are going to be, you know, want to have a say and, and be a part of it more. And, and some coaches won't. Um, and, and I'm fine with either way. Uh, I luckily, I, I, I feel like I've been doing this for long enough. I know how to have those conversations with those coaches, um, you know, on what, you know, best practices are. And, and usually I have some research to back up what I'm doing. And so if they start to question things, uh, I'll, you know, in a, a very PC way, you know, because you don't want to, you know, you don't want to burn bridges yeah. or, or do anything like that. So basically you just kind of, you know, validate, you know, how they feel and what they want and, and say, yeah, I, you know, I, I see some value in that, but here's the reason why I do what we do and, you know, uh, get them to, to buy into it that way. Uh, I haven't ran into that nearly as much at the high school level. Uh, as I did at the college level where the coaches like to dictate a little bit more at the college level. And, and it makes sense because, you know, at the college level, like that's their way of life. That's their income. That's yeah, their livelihood. Yeah. So they are going to be on it. Whereas, um, you know, that might be true for, for the football coach, you know, they get a pretty significant stipend for being a football coach. Uh, basketball coaches do as well. Um, but the other coaches are, are there more like because they enjoy coaching that sport and the, the pressure is not on them as much as it is at the college level to win, you know, as long as, you know, the kids are happy, parents are happy, you know, their job is going to be pretty secure. Uh, so there's not as much pressure that way. Um, I'm also lucky, lucky I, I work at a place where strength and conditioning has been established. Um, and, and most of the coaches buy into that. Uh, in that kind of philosophy and they understand what a strength coach does. I'm, I'm the fourth strength coach they've had at Whiteland uh, versus Danville. I was the first strength coach they ever hired. So it was a, a different, you know, walking into Danville was a little different because every coach was used to doing their own strength conditioning program. And all of a sudden they have to give that up. 
Yeah. Uh, whereas at Whiteland, they're used to being very hands off with it. Uh, and most of them, like they'll still show up for the workouts uh, for the most part, but they act more like a uh, little coach, coach up effort, uh, enthusiasm, that kind of thing. And they'll be, a, you know, the accountability tool uh, for me. You know, if the coach is there, you're more less, less likely to miss. Right. Yes. Uh, so, um, they, they, they do a really good job at Whiteland of, uh, of doing that and, and, uh, playing that role. All right. I'm going to switch gears just a little bit. I know that your primary background is in, in strongman. Um, and I know you don't do as much of it, uh, anymore. And that's actually kind of how I initially met you and got to know you, um, through Dave McManus and then your presentation you did at one of the NSCA clinics and then, um, kind of following you through there and then obviously uh your uh, semi-private facility that you used to have how much um given that that's your background and you know me having the powerlifting background and some strength sport athletes i think some of them do it intentionally and some don't do it intentionally but their programming looks a little biased towards their exercise selection um you obviously are doing a little bit of powerlifting now to as well you've kind of switched gears a little bit how much of the um, of your strongman background do you utilize any of those kind of principles in your in your training programs at all um, none if you have some that you like to use what are they and how do you go about implementing those with your kids at that such a young age obviously you're probably not doing stones but you know you can obviously do like carries and stuff like mm -hmm. that how do you go about implementing that kind of stuff uh the the most strongman stuff you'll probably see in my programming is carries um, uh, and that's, that's one thing I'm glad you kind of brought that up. Like, yeah, I, I, I competed at a high level in strongman for, for a long time, for about, you know, the better part of a decade. Um, so one thing that I, I learned during that time is how, what the likelihood of injury in, in strongman is. <laughs> so like the tire flipping and stuff like that, like my training partner, you know, he went to world strongest man twice. Um, you know, and he had, you know, a bicep tear, a broken foot, and herniated disc in his back. And that's just from flipping tires. But literally, that's the only thing he got those injuries from. Uh, so when I see, like, high school kids doing, like, tire flips with rounded backs and, and things like that, I, I kind of cringe. I'm like, isn't there a better way to do this? Um, so I, I would say that it definitely influences the way that I program, but probably not in the way that you would think. Um, I know what to stay away from. I guess yeah. you could say. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so as far as like strongman influence, you'll see a lot of it in the grip work that I do. I think that's really important. Uh, you'll see a lot of the loaded carries. I think that just systemically loading the body and, and carrying at a, a set distance, uh, not only, you know, from a physiological perspective, but from a psychological perspective, like, am I tough enough to do this? Um, type, type thing. And that's what you'll see mostly incorporated in my programming. Um, as far as from a strongman perspective goes, um, I, I feel kind of, I don't know whether you say lucky because I, I made the choices, but, uh, that I've also competed in, in weightlifting and I've also competed in powerlifting. So I can use some of those principles too. So like some of the technique cues and stuff like that, that I used from being coached myself to compete in the sport of weightlifting. I, I definitely use that when we do our cleans and we do our snatches. Uh, now there's a difference between competing in the sport of weightlifting and using uh, Olympic lifts or, you know, or the snatch and the clean and jerk uh, to improve your athletic performance. Those are two very different things that I think a lot of coaches get confused. Um, 
And so to, to have the wherewithal to know the difference between those things and to have the coaching, compute, uh, coaching cues from the Olympic lifts that, uh, and how to program those uh, from my time spent competing, a short time spent competing in weightlifting. Uh, so you'll definitely see a lot of, um, you know, influence from, from that arena. And then same thing with, you know, powerlifting and how we, um, you know, and, and you know the difference between com competing as a, as a powerlifter with your squat and then like how that may look different and how you would program a squat for an athlete. Yeah. Um, so so I, I feel like it's more like I've, I've learned – kind of the things to stay away from, the kind of things to not do and, and what's good and what's not as far as uh, putting them in my program. So to answer your question, yeah, you'll see a little bit of strong man. You'll see a little bit of powerlifting. You're going to see a little bit of weightlifting, but it's going to be done in a manner that's going to get our athletes better, uh, not inflate anyone's ego. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say that probably initially whenever we opened, that was probably the, the big hurdle was we kind of got labeled as a powerlifting gym because I'm a powerlifter. And yeah, that too. was a couple, it took a couple months to start getting, when I started talking to parents and, you know, they're like, man, it looks like a, a powerlifting gym. And I'm like, you know, the, the power lifts are just exercises that are performed at a, at a competitive level. And I was like, if you go, if you go to the high school, the, the kids are squatting, they're bench pressing, they're doing cleans and those are strength sport based movements, but those people are doing that at a competitive level and that's all they're trying to improve. Where as an athlete, you know, you're trying to use these exercises to transfer to your, your performance on the field. So I'm, I'm not going to necessarily make your kid's back squat look absolute pristine like it needs to look in the squat. Because to get it absolutely pristine, you're going to have to not only be here more, but we've got to have the sessions drag out. There's just a lot of different things. We're like if we can get the main mechanics down right and the hips are going back and knees are going out and you're rooting to the floor and you, you can keep good position and you're getting close to 90 you don't even have to even get to 90 and from an athletic standpoint you're getting relatively close like that's that's kind of what I want to see I don't I don't want your kid to think I'm going to walk out of here a powerlifter and we're not going to start slapping belts and knee wraps and all this kind of stuff mm -hmm. like it doesn't work that way it's just that was my competitive endeavor after my sports were done and that's why as a competitive person that's what I gravitated toward that's what I was good at and that's the same way why your kid likes cross country or basketball because that's kind of what they're good at and their body's built a little bit before same way just I compete with the barbell and your kids using a barbell to improve their performance I think once parents saw that okay yeah he's not making them squat with the barbell all the time you know that's not what we're starting with day one and then when you start doing different jumps and throws and the movements look a little more dynamic in nature and athletic that mm -hmm. that stigma started to go away and they're like okay well this isn't a powerlifting gym. Brandon kind of knows the difference between trying to train a powerlifter and, a, and an athlete. And the same thing, you know, goes with strongman because I think um, from a, from a local perspective, there is one place that needs a lot of strongman stuff. And I get asked about it all the time and I, I just decline to answer. I'm like, you know, what, what they choose to do is up to them. I know what I would choose and you know, what I choose to do is what we do. So if you see me doing stuff, I believe in it. And if we're not doing it, there's probably a reason why we're not doing it. And, the, the risk for reward ratio has to be considered all things. Mm -hmm. and, and like you said, with doing the, the carries, I would say that's probably the one strongman thing we do at, uh, above all else is all the different types of carries or it's sandbags or farmers or, you know, offset carries um, right. and, th and things like that, like that, that has good transfer to sport, relatively safe, not going to beat your kids up too much. And like you said, the competitive thing too, when you got a couple kids doing the same thing and they're carrying the same weights who can carry at the distance, the fastest, or who can carry the heaviest weight for the same amount of distance. That's a, that's a competitive environment standpoint. So, um, 
Yeah, and I just feel like we're just, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. You can go ahead. Yeah, and I just feel like there, there's so many more things that you know a a, a, a sports athlete needs to train versus a, a strength sport athlete. Um, a strength sport athlete, like everything's in the sagittal plane. Yep. Uh, there's not a whole lot of transverse. There's not a whole lot of uh, frontal plane. You know, side to side or rotation or or anything like that. That if you ignore those things as a strength coach when you're working with your athletes. Uh, you're not going to get as good a results from, from the training. Like you're not going to get the, the wins that you want. Uh, so and that's why I, I, I kind of look at it as like I train athletes. Uh, I don't train strength sport, that strength sport athletes or, you know, at least not, um, not at white Lake high school. I mean, in the squat rack you see behind me, yes, I do train strength for, I do train power lifter, a couple power lifters in there. Uh, so that's completely different, but uh, you know, for most part as far as, uh, you know, the high school athletes that I work with, uh, I focus more on things that are getting them better at their sport uh, versus, you know, like a power lifter. Like, I mean, if you can, you know, step up to the platform, squat, and then go sit back down, then you've done your job. Whereas in the, the football game, it doesn't work that way. No. So you've got, you know, conditioning issues to think about. You've got change of direction and uh, moving in different planes of, of motion and uh, offset loads, like you said, because that's real life is an offset load, not a perfectly balanced barbell on your back. Yep. Uh, so those are the things I think a strength coach uh, needs to keep in mind when they're writing their programs. We're training athletes, not, you know, strength sport athletes. Yep. And, uh, one of the, the last question I want to ask you was, um, being at the high school level and, uh, being at the semi-private level and being at the, the collegiate level, you've kind of done it all. That's, that's not a very popular thing. I guess you don't see a whole lot of coaches end up going kind of through that full yeah. circle. How have you kind of taken, your experiences also as a strength a strength athlete as well. Have you taken your collegiate, your high school, your semi-private, being a strength sport athlete, how have you kind of put that together all into one package? And anybody that's looking to to be a, a strength coach, whether it be at the collegiate or high school or whatever, in that package, how did, what do you recommend for someone like that trying to come up um, to get the most bang for their buck to be the best coach. Cause I think you've got a, you've done a good job of that. And like I said, that's, that's really rare. And I think that's a, a very unique opportunity that a lot of people should kind of look at that, that there's more than just one way in this field. And you've obviously kind of tested those waters and you've, you've obviously found what makes you happy. So how do you um, recommend that to the, the younger either interns or the guys that are just graduating or the, the GAs or even the, first year college strength coach that might be thinking, eh, maybe I need to switch gears and get into high school or semi-private. I just say, you know, you know, find, you know, what works for you. Uh, and that's kind of what's led me down my career path is, you know, what, what other doors have opened for me? Um, and what have I, you know, need to do? A lot of what I did was out of necessity. Uh, I never wanted to be a business owner. Uh, and I tell that to people all the time. I, I was not ever someone who wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, I opened my gym out of necessity. Um, so what happened with, with me, I don't, I don't know how much you know about when I opened my business or anything like that. And, but I'll go ahead and share a little bit and kind of give you an idea of why I, I went down the career path that I have. Uh, you know, I, uh, I got the graduate assistantship, uh, you know, at Indiana state when I finished my bachelor's degree, uh, before that I had a couple years of personal training under my belt. So I had a little bit of experience in the personal training world in a commercial gym setting anyways, where I'm working with, uh, you know, just the average fitness goer. Um, you know, and I got the opportunity through an internship. So I was, you know, interning towards the end of my bachelor's degree with the strength and conditioning program there at Indiana state anyway. 
uh, under a different strength coach. And then there was a change of strength coach and I happened to land the um, graduate assistant job. But there weren't a whole lot of college strength and conditioning jobs open uh, when I graduated in 06 with my master's. Um, so the only things available to me were, you know, D3 jobs, which there's nothing wrong with a D3 job. Uh, but there were just a couple division three jobs and they were all, uh, you know, out of state. And I was also newly married. And so I was like, do I want to pack up my wife and move out of state when I got this other offer to move into the private sector, uh, in 06. And so I decided to, you know, stay in state and, and stay and go into the private sector where I can make a little bit more money. Uh, and not have to move my wife, you know, to New York or something like that. Um, so I made that decision to, to move into the private sector at that time. Uh, if you're familiar with what the economy looked like after that, uh, you know, in 08, uh, a, a lot of fitness facilities were struggling and, and the one that I worked for went out of business. Um, so I took all of my clients, you know, the athletes that I was working with. I had a bunch of middle school and high school athletes at the time. I also had a lot of adult fitness uh, clients, you know, at the time and, and took them to another gym in Plainfield, a uh, private facility. And, uh, you know, that, that place was there for about five months and it also went out of business. Um, so at that point, I was just like, I'm going to do it myself. So, you know, I ended up doing it myself for, you know, about 10 years. Um, and I really kind of got that itch. Um, my, my heart wasn't in the, uh, the private sector as much anymore. I had been working at Danville for a couple years, really enjoyed that. And then the opportunity came back into, to getting back in the public sector full-time in Indiana state. So, you know, took that, uh, and then, uh, had better opportunity. I'm not going to say better opportunity, a, a more, uh, a better opportunity financially, <laughs> uh, became available at Whiteland. And so that's why I took that. So, um, it was more of a, an issue of necessity is why I, I kind of went down the career path that I did versus, Hey, I want to get, you know, a wide array of, uh, of experience. Uh, one thing that I have learned is, I mean, you, you learn how to, uh, deal with people in all different kinds of populations and all kind of, you know, different ability levels. And I feel like that's really made me a better coach overall is, you know, I've, I've, understood what it's like to uh to coach a high school athlete with the needs that i have at the high school level or the financial needs or you know hey coach i i'm failing three classes or whatever and how do i get my training in but do the extra work that i need in my classes to, to pass and graduate and, and those kinds of things that you deal with uh and then also the the fun part of you know working at the college level and standing on the sidelines at a purdue football game you know coaching uh, or at a, you know, a Louisville football game, you know, where I'm the strength and conditioning coach doing the warm ups and things like that. So, um, having those experiences, uh, uh, I definitely, I feel like made me a better coach. Um, just having a wide variety of experiences and how things are done at different levels. And then also it really helps like working at the high school level that I've been, you know, at the division one college level. And I can explain to those athletes, you know, this is the reason why we're doing what we're doing. And here's what you can expect when you get to the next level. Cause I do have a few that will go, you know, play division three, division two, or, you know, NAI or D one, uh, athletes that I work with. And so I can be kind of a, a source of, you know, information of what to expect when they get to the college weight room. Um, you know, like we talked about the, the uniform issue and, uh, things like that. And it, like, you know, if you're in McManus's weight room in Indiana state, you can't wear purple, you yeah. know? Um, so 
so I, I think that it's benefited me a lot in that it's experience. It's given me a lot of experience in working with a lot of different people. And it also like currently gives me that experience to, um, being able to, like I said, just be a, a source of information for those athletes that are going to move on. It also, uh, one kind of, you know, unexpected thing is that we also have a lot of you know college coaches that come around and recruit. And I kind of know, you know, having worked at the division one level, I kind of know the, the lingo and the setup. And the, so communication with those coaches, uh, I usually end up being kind of a liaison for our sport coaches at Whiteland and those college coaches that come in to, to recruit because they want to come in the weight room and recruit. So I might have, you know, uh, you know, 10 to 12 college coaches at some point come into our weight room uh, during the school day and, and watch our kids and stuff. So. Um, just being able to have the conversations that, you know, cause I've, I've been there, I know the, the lingo, I guess. Yeah. Um, and, and what kind of schedules that they're working around. So, uh, I feel like it's been beneficial overall to, to me and my career to have experience at those different levels. Yeah, that's, that's really good. Yeah. I, I've, I've kind of been in each one as well. And I, I guess, like you said, the, the necessity thing, I definitely understand that, you know, that, thinking that I wanted to be a college strength coach. And then like you said, once I saw the, you got to kind of pack up and move potentially every couple of years, I was like, man, I don't know if I'll, it's not that I would, if I was a single guy, Hey, whatever. But you know, if if I want to get married and have kids that, that puts a strain on a relationship and it takes the college coaches definitely know that it takes a special kind of not only uh, partner, but also understanding that, Hey, you know, we might have two or three good years at XYZ university. And then we got to pick up and go, to, you know, ABC university in three years. And then we got to figure out how to make that work from a family standpoint. And you know, mm-hmm. some, some people are definitely 100% behind that. And others are like, you know, the, 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 the steadiness is kind of a selling point for either the, the high school or the, the semi-private. And I think that's kind of what drove me to want to go more semi-private was the ones I found it. It, um, mm-hmm. it just kind of seemed like a good thing. Like I liked that I got to I got to the kids that I got to work with were usually invested. You know, it's, it's a considered a premier service. So you're not going to get your kid in there. That's usually slacking off. That's not very common. Um, So you don't have to coach uh, motivation as much as you do necessarily at the, at the high school or college level, even the college level, you get the kids that slack off, you know, they're, they're so used to being gifted. They're like, I've never had to work for anything. So why do I got to work now? But you know, they quickly realize they have to when everybody in the room is good. Yeah. Those kids don't usually last that long. I mean, you're going to have your, your outliers that, uh, you know, are going to be good at their sport regardless of how hard they work. But, uh, especially at the level like Indiana state, you know, those kids are going to have to work and they figure a lot of them figure that out you know, pretty early on. So, yeah. Yeah. um, you know, and for me, um, uh, it's also a job security thing. Like, you know, all you, all it takes is a bad season or two and, uh, you're at, and that could be out of your control as a strength coach. Like I've seen yeah. a lot of good strength coaches lose their jobs. Even over the last year, a lot of good strength coaches have lost their jobs for situations that were out of their control. You know, if the head football coach, you know, you can put a, put together the best, you know, strength and conditioning program ever, but it, like, you know, if the head football coach isn't very good at calling plays, <laughs> yeah. then uh, you're going to lose some games and then you're going to lose your job, you know, if he loses his job. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's what you run into at a lot of the college, you know, college and professional level. So it's those, those high profile, you know, fun jobs that everyone wants to coach those top level athletes. But, you know, it's also, like I said, there's zero job security. Uh, so you can lose your job to things that are well outside your, your realm of control. 
Yeah, and and even then the the market, the job market is so oversaturated that if if you lose that job, there is easily somebody to replace you, whether they're new and up and coming or they're a seasoned vet. Um, that you know that that makes it even more challenging that you got to be on your A game day mm-hmm. in and day out, and then even with it's in your control or not, just because there's there's always somebody there to replace you. And um, I, I I guess the same way from a semi private for me though, you know, if we don't do a good job, <laughs> clients aren't going to come, and then I can't pay my bills, right. and then and then you then you shut down. I, I would definitely say with the COVID thing, that was the first thing went through my mind, man how many months can we make this without right. um, either if people want to put their stuff on pause or whatever. But I, I think talking with my wife, we realized like we've obviously within two years built a good community and good culture because the fact that people want to continue to pay their monthly rates, regardless of whether they're getting the service or not says a lot about the brand and the business and what we do. Cause if we didn't do a good job, we would just get emails and phone calls like, Hey, cancel, 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 cancel. And then right. you know, you're a convenience, not a, a driving factor where at least we've, we've got that flip that switch flipped in our direction. So we got to continue to do that. And, um, that it's been challenging, but you know, like I said, we've, we've obviously done the the right stuff and I I didn't want to be in the business thing. And I told my wife, I said, I hope that this thing goes so well in the next five, six years that we hire somebody that does all the business aspect of it. So all I got to do is coach, you know, it, it stinks having to do the billing and all that kind of stuff. But can we sacrifice a couple of years of doing that to where then eventually that's not my job anymore. I can just, I can just coach. So um, that's hopefully at least the long-term plan for us anyways. But yeah, um, I totally get that, that aspect of it. Cause my wife doesn't, I told her that I would do all that uh, when we got married, that that was, I would be the financial really responsible person for all the things that we do. And that was a good communication thing. Cause now we don't have things, um, I don't want to say separated, but um, we don't have the same job task divided between two people where we have to communicate it. That we know that everything that fiscally happens is my responsibility. And then you know, she takes care of all the personal training programs. And then I take care of all the sports performance kids. And then if there's anything else that falls in limbo land, we try to either distribute that to our, our part-time guy that coaches, Hey, you know, we try to give you a little leadership responsibility. So, you know, if you want to move up and we continue to grow, we might need that manager. And, you know, yep. we need to be able to teach you those systems and stuff. So, yeah, that's, um, that's a lot of really good information. Do you got anything else you want to add, input, anything like that? Uh, no, I was just going to say that. I think that businesses like yours are going to be the it's, – it's going to be interesting, I guess I could say, of how this works out when, uh, uh, when everything opens up after the COVID-19 issue. I feel like businesses like yours are going to be the ones who do well with it just because, of, like you said, you know, you're – um, you're not renting equipment and that's what I refer to like the LA fitnesses and the planet fitnesses and places like that. They're not really fitness facilities. They ran equipment. Uh, and so they're probably, I, I don't know this for sure, but I would assume that they're getting crushed right now. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, private facilities, most of the uh, owners that I've talked to, uh, most of them have been able to maintain at least a good portion of their membership because, you know, a lot of people that they're willing to invest the money, uh, to go to a private facility like that. Uh, they also understand business and how that works. And if they cancel the membership, they may not have one to come back to. Yep. Uh, so uh, I, I think that, you know, if you guys can get the support of your members and all the other private facilities like yours and, you know, I know Matt Mills uh, and a lot of those guys that are out on the East coast and stuff like that, where the, uh, 
lockdown is a little bit more stringent, right. but I feel like, you know, for the most part, most of them should be okay. I, I hope on the other yeah. side of it, whereas the LA fitnesses and, you know, those types of global gym type setups, uh, I, I, I would be really curious to see how they're doing through all this because I, I can't imagine people continuing to pay their nine or $14 a month or whatever, uh, you know, for that, especially with no contracts. So, yeah. Yeah. um, I, I, I would imagine it's affecting their business a lot more than, than the smaller guys. So, yeah. And I, I think that when we're able to open that we can, we can control a lot more factors cause we're not overwhelmed with four or 500 people that want to mm-hmm. use our space. You know, I think, well, you guys them. can open sooner too, right? Yes. Because yes, you're so, by appointment. Yeah. So with the, um, the way that it was worded was that, uh, personal services, um, by appointment only can open on the 11th. So since we can, since we do that, you know, we can open because we can easily control the amount of, not only the number of people, but obviously everything has to be scheduled in advance with, which we can do with our systems and everything they can go on and just book it. And then we right. be there and then work with them and then make sure that they're out at the top of the hour. And then we rinse and repeat, get the next couple of kids, next couple of clients. And we're going to start off with trying to only have um, five kids per hour. I think for most, for what we do, I think that's going to be enough to weather the storm because it's only got to be two weeks. And if, and then the 24th, the doors are allowed to open back up up yeah. to like 50% occupancy, which with, we've got like almost 7,200 square feet. Our occupancy is like 120 some. So we've, we've never had 60 people in our gym <laughs> at one time ever. So yeah. basically when that rolls around, it's like, Hey, it's normal for us, but as everybody, you know, make smart decisions, use the hand sanitizer when you come in and when you leave and you know, wipe your stuff down when you're done. And, and if you go to the bathroom, please wash your hands. You should be anyways, but mm-hmm. do it, do it anyways again. Um, yeah. And I, I think we'll be okay. The, I guess the biggest thing we got to hope for is that everybody does their part, not just our, our business, but all the businesses as a whole so that there's not a, a massive spike. And then I say, Hey, we're going to put this on hold for another two weeks because yeah. then that can start causing some problems too. Certainly, man. It's going to be an interesting time for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate your time. We got a lot of good, good information. Uh, I definitely learned a lot about what you're doing at Whiteland. I, I, that opened my eyes a lot. Like man, some of the kid, amount of kids that you work with and what you have to do. That's a, <laughs> yeah. that is a definitely more than a full-time job. Um, and I definitely think that you're definitely a good guy. I've known you for a long time and I think they made a really good decision with you. So um, you. I'm not sure how much Terre Haute schools play Whiteland, but if, for whatever reason, if you happen to be on a Terre Haute football schedule, I'll obviously make sure I come come watch your kids, and and I'm sure you'll be down there on the sidelines and whatever. But um, and if you ever need anything from us, just let us know. You're always welcome at our place, man. Certainly, man. I was kind of disappointed that my time at Indiana State was cut a little short, and I I did actually drive out to your facility once, uh, but you guys were closed. Yeah, it's probably uh, midday. I'm guessing. It, it was, yeah. and that was the only time I had available. So yeah. I just was out and figured I'd stop by. But uh, yeah, definitely, I need to make a trip up to Terre Haute and uh, see in your guys' facility and, and get a lift in again. Uh, I remember training in your garage that one day; it was a lot of fun. So yeah, yeah, absolutely, to do that again. So, all right, man. Well, I appreciate it, and take care, and uh, tell your wife hi. All right, we'll do. I right, see, see you. Thanks for listening to Thirst for More podcast. Give us a follow on Spotify, iTunes, Google, and other streaming services. 
feel free to visit our website, thirstgym.com. That's T-H-I-R-S-T-G-Y-M.com. And click on the podcast tab to look over show notes and extra free resources. You can also give us a follow on Instagram at Team Thirst. That's T-E-A-M period T-H-I-R-S-T. Or you can give me a follow at B Smitley. That's B-S-M-I-T-L-E-Y for more updates on future episodes to come. I'm your host, Brandon Smelly, and we'll catch you at the next episode.